Well, this morning, I have something a little different this morning. If you've looked in the bulletin, um, that message I'm not going to preach this morning. Um, and if you've been around my preaching for any length of time, I am a notes preacher. I do not preach without notes. Um, perhaps there are men more gifted than I that can do that. I would venture to say, if you listen to some of their sermons, though, they probably should use notes. <laughs> notes help me stay on task, but this week is just a little different. As my heart was contemplating all of these things that has transpired this week, as I was contemplating and looking at the tragedy in Texas and, of course, how the week started with the report with the report on the executive committee from the Guidepost report. It's just been a, it has been a week of sadness. It's been a week of tragedy. It's been a week of looking evil in the face. I cannot get my mind around taking the life of another human being. But stack upon that a child a school teacher how do you make sense of that that we all agree whether you be progressive or conservative is evil it's evil and it's staring us in the face in its rawness what can men and women do? If you know me, you know I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings. I love the books, and I also love the movies, Tolkien's writing, and also Peter Jackson's interpretation of Tolkien. But in the second movie, The Two Towers, there is a king, a human king, that's fighting against these evil, monstrous beings called orcs, and they are just covering the land with darkness and evil and destruction pillaging everything and destroying the forests and the village and just turning everything to a wasteland and the human king is unable to find courage and he's in his fortress and he's trapped and his name is Theoden King and he says a famous line that I feel like sometimes when Theoden King says what can men do against such reckless hate. What can we do when we stare evil in the face and it stares back at us? And literally, there are no words. There are no words. So this morning, I want to talk to you about evil. I want to talk to you about evil and I want to talk with you about the response from heaven regarding evil. And that is the kingdom of God. I would invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John. These passages should be on the screen. I just gave these verses to them about 30 minutes ago. So I want to thank them personally, Aaron and Gandalf, uh, for putting these up. This is a message that I wrote last night and this morning. I don't make a habit of this. And after today, we might decide 
I really don't need to make a habit of this. But nonetheless, this is what's on my heart. We will come back and speak about John 20 next week. I love that story of Jesus making fish for the disciples. Don't miss out. I love Jesus. And more importantly, he loves me and he loves you. But this morning, I want to speak about evil in the kingdom of God. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. I know somebody's thinking, well, you're out of John, and of course we land in 1 John. <laughs> Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. I want you to think of this word, lawlessness. Don't forget it. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared, Jesus, in order to take away sins. And in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sin sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Key statement. Then listen to the response. To destroy the reason. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Now, before we even begin, I know if you're using some translations, it says no one who sins. The ESV helps us here in clarifying that no one who makes a practice of sinning. The language is clear in the original language. It's talking about sinning in the active, ongoing sense. We all know that we all sin. We all know that we all sin. We have sinned. We are sinners and we will continue to sin. We are sinners saved by grace. We have been redeemed, but we still wrestle with our flesh and temptations. Christians sin. There's only one kind of Christian, and that is a sinning Christian. The difference between the Christian and the non-Christian regarding sin is Jesus. Christians have been redeemed. Romans 3.23, we know this first, we don't have to go there, but just as a reminder, you know it. If you know it, say it with me. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Did you know I just misquoted that verse? It's for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 encapsulates the reality. All have sinned past tense. And fall, present tense, short of the glory of God. Make no mistake, there is only one kind of Christian, and that's a Christian who sins and struggles with sin. We know this to be true. But John makes it abundantly clear. No one who embraces sin, embraces it and cherishes it and lives it out over and over again and celebrating it can belong to Jesus. Because if you embrace your sin, you're not embracing Christ. I want to talk with you, though, about sin. Look back there 
and verse number four. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness, and lawlessness is disorder. And I want to show you that this has been the struggle from the beginning. Remember, the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And I want to walk through the scripture with you to see if we can see and understand what evil is. It's not just bad behavior. It's not just bad things. It's not just moral wrong. The picture that is painted for evil in the scripture and what the Son of God came to destroy is stretched from Genesis to Revelation. And that's what I want us to look at today. The first place I want us to look is in Genesis. Genesis chapter number 1. Genesis chapter number 1 and verses 1 through 3. Julie Andrews said in The Sound of Music, start at the beginning, a very good place to start. Let's start there. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm going to keep reading. I want to read also verse 4 and 5. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. Go back to Genesis 1, verse number 2. Genesis 1, 1 is the introduction that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. We know this. It speaks of this in Colossians, that by him, for him, and through him, everything came into being. He is the creator of all things. But notice how he created the world. Because he's going to end the first day by using a Hebrew word, tov, which means good. What is the thing we see at first? The earth, before God began to create, the earth was without form. Without form and void. What does that mean? It had no order. It was in disorder. And it was empty. God spoke into the disorder and created order. And that order, the first step, is called light. And this order he calls good. It's important to understand because if we're going to understand what evil is, we have to know what good is. Good is the order and the design that God has put into this world to push back the chaos. Now we know that the Bible is one of many ancient stories from the Middle East that talk about the, the beginning of the world, we think about ancient Babylon, you may or may not know this, perhaps you've been here for some time, you've heard me talk about this. The ancient Babel Babylonians believed that in the beginning there was chaos, and that the god Marduk in this chaos sea overcame this giant sea serpent and slew the sea serpent, and then that body of the sea serpent became the world. And the theme was this, that from the chaos came order. The same thing is found here in Genesis, that out of the nothingness, out of the emptiness 
and out of the disorder of this original state of the earth, God brought design and order, and this is what he calls good. I want you to look down also in verse 131. 131, it will be on the screen. He does something different on 131. All the days of week, minus day five, I don't know why he doesn't call day five good, but nonetheless he doesn't. But the sixth day, God calls everything good? No, what does it say? And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was, say it with me, very good. This is Hebrew, this is Tov Meod, very good. This is not just good. God has just made man and woman to rule on the earth, and the order, the design, the structure that he has placed on the earth, God steps back, and he's about to take a rest on the seventh day. He looks at his creation, and he says, this is very good. Starting in Genesis 1-2, when the earth was in disorder, and was empty, now it has been ordered and filled, and now a man is put on the earth to rule this ordered and filled earth, and God calls that very good. Are you tracking? Let's keep going. Genesis 2, verses 15 through 17. As the story moves forward, Genesis 2 gives us a different angle of the creation account. And this is where God speaks to the man. For instance, the Lord says to Adam here in Genesis 2, 15 through 17, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, surely... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and, what's that word? Evil. First time we read about it. The Hebrew word, it's ra. Evil. Bad. Disaster. The knowledge between God's good order and chaos. Disaster. He says, you must not eat of that tree. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. You say, wait a second. God's holding out on Adam. You may have everything, Adam, but you can't have this. God is holding out. Friends, if you're a parent, you understand this. Sometimes you say no to protect people you love, your children, because you know that if they come to knowledge in an inappropriate way, that knowledge will harm them. And by the way, parenting is not for wimps. We know that. Yesterday, went to the donut shop. I was in a different town. And there was a dear lady... Uh, she saw me come in with all my kids, and I was there with my wife, and she goes, wow, I only had three of them with me. She said, wow, how many do you have? I said, six. She said, goodness gracious, that is just 
beyond the pale. How? Six children. And I said, well, do you have children? She said, yes. I said, well, how many do you have? She said, five. <laughs> and I told Andrea at the table, I said, she has five kids. She gets it. And she said, honey, when you have five, six sounds beyond the pale. And that just makes sense. We all know that parenting is not for wimps, but we give our children boundaries for their good. For their good. God gave Adam and Eve boundaries for their good to protect them that they would not acquire this knowledge by seeing and taking on their own terms. But they would instead trust the Lord in His wisdom and abstain from what was not meant for them to have at this time. Also, there's another thing that takes place in the next verse. Look at 2.18. This is the first time we read of this. In verse 2.18, the scripture says this, And the Lord said, it is... What is that? What does it say it with me? Not good. Oh, this is not orderly. This is not right. This is incomplete. This is not quite all the way to good. That man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Here's what I want you to see here in the scripture today. When God ordered the universe, he ordered it as good. Evil, as we're going to see, is the pressure and pushing back against the order. To push away from the order and design of God's good creation to push the world back into chaos. We read about this when Adam and Eve sin. So in Genesis 3.19, I want you to see this. I know we're going so fast, but track with me. In Genesis 3.19, this is after Adam and Eve sinned. They've been tempted by the devil. Now evil has not just become a part of them. It's become a part of their world, a part of creation. And Genesis 3.19, God says something to Adam that is very interesting. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. If you know the rest of the story, Adam is expelled out of the garden, and he is put in the wilderness. Now what's interesting is God made man out of the dust of the ground and placed him inside Eden, in the place that God made for him and gave him dominion and rulership, and he was told to keep and rule over the garden. Here's the picture. Man, Adam, I have ordered the universe, and now I want you to rule it from Eden. But you must rule it as I have ordered it. And man looked and, saw, looked and saw, the woman looked and saw, and they took what they should not have. And evil came rushing in. Disaster and chaos came rushing in to the world. And so it is with us. When you and I rebel against God's good design, we knowingly or unknowingly invite chaos into our life. 
when we allow evil and temptations to overcome us, to flood our marriages, to flood our homes, to flood whatever it is, we are unknowingly inviting chaos that will attempt to pull apart the order that God has placed in the earth. In fact, this does have a culmination. I want you to look, we were going to look at Genesis 1.26, but that was just a reminder of Genesis 1.26 that God had made man to rule the earth. But if you know the rest of the story, in Genesis 6, Genesis 6, verses 5 through 8, the story moves forward, and we see where evil takes the world. Man is no longer ruling from the garden. He is now in the wilderness. And instead of ruling creation, he's attempting to rule his fellow man. And it ultimately goes bad. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and following, it says, The Lord saw that wickedness, the wickedness of great man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the land, face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Here's what I want you to see. From that first invitation of chaos, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sought wisdom contrary to God's design, according to their own understanding and desires, chaos swept into the world and culminates in Genesis 6 where literally the world is tearing itself apart with violence. Evil, disorder, chaos. Good, order, blessing. The two ways of the world. God's good order it leads to blessing, or evil, which is contrary to God's good order and leads to chaos. And in Genesis 6-5, it gets so bad that you know the rest of the story. God takes, and you may have not thought about this, takes the entirety of creation back to Genesis 1-2, where he covered the world with dark storms, and covered it with water and decreated the whole earth because chaos had been unleashed and God makes a whole new world through Noah. Here's what I'm wanting you to see. I'm wanting you to see that evil, disorder, and chaos go hand in hand. This is why John says sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness, no laws, no order, total dysfunction. It pushes against God's good design. Now, we all know that you can take chaos in varying degrees. A little bit of chaos may not ruin your life, but it invites evil in. 
And when you and I push against God's good design and God's good plans for our life, we are unknowingly inviting chaos and evil into the world. So now, here's the question. Did God solve the problem when he flooded the earth because the earth had returned to chaos, ultimately, God took it back and decreated the earth because the earth had gotten so bad. Was the problem solved? No. Because after Noah's grandchildren repopulated the earth, what is the first story we read about? Somebody tell me. The Tower of Babel which is the exact opposite of what God tells them to do. God says, be fruitful and multiply and spread abroad. And they say, let's build a city. God's order is that his image, us, cover the face of the earth. That the glory of God may cover the face of the earth like the waters covered the sea. But mankind says, no, we want to build a city. Now, we say, well, a city's all that bad. I mean, gosh, we build cities today. It's what it represents. God says, this is my design. This is my plan for your life. This is my plan for humanity. And if you disobey this, if you rebel against this, it will bring chaos into the world. So when you and I are watching that shooting that took place in Texas, when we see that evil, it's not just moral wrong. It's not just how can you look at this and make sense of this. This is chaos. This is Genesis 6-5. That violence filling the earth, this is decreation. This is trying to rip and pull away from the good order that God has placed in the earth. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is chaos. Chaos, it's disorder. That's what evil is. It's not just bad. It's a rebellion against God's good design. And that's why evil always leads to disaster. And it leaves us in moments of looking at little faces of children who were shot and thinking, how did it come to this? How could something like this happen? Chaos grows, and it grows into disaster. You say, well, why did God let that happen? Why did God let that happen? I mean, surely God would need to do something about that, right? Well, God's solution to the order in the beginning was to put a man on the throne to rule and that was Adam and his helper Eve but they forfeited the kingdom and disqualified themselves for rulership and because of that the throne that was meant to be occupied by man became empty so not only was now evil and chaos rushing into the world as the result of Adam and Eve's failure, now they've been exiled from the palace called Eden. They're not sitting on the throne anymore, and they have no control over creation. They can't stop it. They can't stop evil. And this is why God tells Adam, listen, no matter how hard you work, thorns and thistles are going to grow and you're going to sweat and you're going to die. You cannot stop this. You have no control over this anymore. 
Friends, no matter how hard we try, we cannot stop it. We don't sit on the throne anymore. Humanity does not sit on the throne. You and me. We cannot stop evil from growing and spreading and destroying everything in its path. So, well, good grief. Isn't there an answer? And the answer is yes. The answer to chaos is order. I want you to look at one passage with me and then we're going to look at the New Testament. After the Tower of Babel that takes place in Genesis 11, in Genesis 12, God does something. I want you to see this. One of the most famous and most important passages in all the Bible. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And believe it or not, I'm almost done. Genesis 12, 1 through 3. God calls a family. Not a good man, not a bad man, but a man. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and in him and him who dishonors you, I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Look at that last phrase. God's solution to the disorder and the chaos was a family, and a family that would send the world a blessing. God's solution to the chaos and the disorder is God is beginning to reorder his creation by calling out one man and his family to do something so special that he's going to bless the whole world. I want you to turn to a passage that we know so well And that is Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 33. When I start reading, you're going to say, wait a second, is it December? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And listen to verse 33. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom. Here it is. Of his kingdom. There will be no end. What is a kingdom? Well, the kingdom is a place of order. The kingdom is a place of order because the kingdom is the place where the king rules and reigns. Now, you may be a good king or a bad king, but when you're in the kingdom of the king, that kingdom has order. And notice what Mary is told. 
that this one who's going to save their people, he is coming, his kingdom is going to have no end. This new ordering, the answer to the evil and the suffering and the brokenness and the disaster is the reordering of creation. We're not going to Genesis chapter 6 of God wiping out creation. God is reordering the creation in such a way that this new kingdom rule is going to literally change the world. This is God's answer for evil. Sin is lawlessness. Lawlessness is evil. Evil is disorder. Disorder is chaos. Chaos is disaster. And God's answer is a kingdom. Now, a kingdom has a king. I told you that Eden forfeited. Eden was forfeited by Adam, and Adam no longer rules creation. That's why the earth was in disarray. But I want you to see Ephesians 4 and verse number 8. Ephesians 4, verse number 8, speaking of our Lord. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, this is, a talking, this is talking about after the resurrection, him ascending to the throne of God. He led, host, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. Here's what I want you to see. The throne of man is no longer unoccupied. God has brought the kingdom into the world as the answer for the chaos, and the kingdom has a king. If you're a fan of British literature, you know the tales of King Arthur. Every time Arthur's not in Camelot, things fall apart. Guinevere loses her mind. Lancelot doesn't know what to do. When Arthur is on the throne, all is well. That doesn't mean bad things don't happen. But the king is ruling. And Jesus now rules the kingdom. Now... The world is once again under the control of a man, and that man is Jesus. And you and me now join him in his reordering of the world. Notice what it says. And he gave gifts to men and women. He gave gifts to men. Why is he giving gifts to men? Each of us who belong to Christ have been gifted a spiritual gift that as Jesus has now reordered the world for the sake of his kingdom, we join him in this effort of bringing healing to the disaster so that the kingdom might spread. Do you want to know what the answer is to all the school shootings? Do you want to know what the answer is to disease and abuse and dysfunction? All of these things. Do you want to know what the answer is? The kingdom of God. And Jesus rules that. You say, well, there's not much I can do about that. Read the scripture. It says that we have now been led by him and he has given us gifts and now as the people of God, do you know how we change the world? Not by yelling at people. We don't change the world 
by yelling. We change the world by using our gifts. Do you want to change the world? Go home and tell your wife you're sorry for what you said to her this morning. Or your husband, the other way around. You want to change the world? Go read a book to your child. Strengthen your family relationship. You want to change the world? Invite your neighbor to church. You want to change the world? Tell that coworker the gospel that you've been showing kindness to. You want to change the world? Use the gifts that God has given you. Hospitality, faith, service. These are weapons in our hands to push back against the chaos so that the kingdom of God will be spread abroad. And friends, this is not a answer. It is the only, only, only answer to the chaos. The kingdom of God. And you and me, this is not just what Jesus is doing. It's what we're doing all together. Now, there's two postures. You can be soldiers in the Lord's army, and we don't fight with bullets. We fight with the word of God and the kindness of Jesus and the good news of the gospel. What's the opposite? Well, you can belong to Christ and not do anything. It's true. And this verse is for us. This one hit me in the, between the eyes this week. Two more verses and I'll be done. But let's look at this. Philippians 2, 14 through 15. I was filling up my gas tank and I was complaining against the current leadership. It's a true statement. And this verse came to mind. Do all things, all things including pumping gas, do all things without grumbling or questioning, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Does that sound like chaos? Among whom you will shine as lights in the world. There's two postures as a Christian. You join with God. And you push back the darkness with your gifts that he's given you. Or you sit around and complain. Two postures. God forbid you work against the kingdom. And if you're actively working against the kingdom, 1 John makes it clear, you're not in the kingdom. But there's two postures as a Christian. You can join with him in his kingdom rule that will one day be pinnacled when he returns in the sky and establishes his kingdom rule forever and ever and ever and sweeps away even evil for all time. Last verse and I'm done. I want you to say it with me. Romans 16, 20. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Who's going to crush Satan? Does it say Jesus? What does it say? Your feet. The church. Do you want to push back against the tide? Just go home and be a Christian. And trust God with the big things you can't understand and I can't understand. I don't know how to make sense of the evil in the world. But I do know how to make sense of the answer. And you can join with me in pushing back the darkness because the kingdom is here.
and it's coming and it's here to stay. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your son Jesus. Lord, I pray you would forgive me for the disorder and confusion and the chaos that my sins have brought into the world. Lord, I pray you would make me an agent of restoration and ordering and joining you in healing this world with your kingdom. Lord, help me to not be a grouchy, complaining Christian. Lord, get me up off of my mental couch. And Lord, let me step into my calling to push back the darkness. Use our church, First Baptist Tupelo, to do just that. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen and amen.